right. All right. All right. Welcome everyone to Heart and Hustle, Visionary Healers, Movers, and Shakers. I am Paulette Ristini. I am your tribal hostess, your transformational lifestyle coach, your global dance diva. <laughs> I'm not a diva. Really, I'm not a diva. But, and I have a great special guest today. I'm so excited to actually meet her finally. <laughs> and um, Madeline Craig is here, and she is doing some amazing transformational work in the world. Yeah. So um, I'm happy to have you here. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Just love it. Honored to be here. And uh, I was playing a little Dixie Chicks here for you called Wide <laughs> Open Spaces. <laughs> Great. Because I love to have some music going on, right? We'll yeah. Fade, we'll fade that out. Music makes my heart very happy. Yeah. Singing, dancing, I you know. so much stuff through music. It's so good. So good. So um, I have, I've, I've never met Madeline. Yeah. Uh, but I'm really excited. I've uh, read lots of work that she's doing. And I just think it's so, so soulful and so powerful and so necessary. Yes, it's, it's very necessary. It's such a healer. And I'd love you to introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about what you do. So yeah, I'm, my name is Madeline Craig. I am a, I'm an educator. I'm also a life coach like you, Paulette. And um, I uh, am working in a number of ways, but the biggest thing I'm doing right now is I'm working with families struggling with a loved one's uh, drug or alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. So, And I'm doing that work for a number of reasons. One, it just won't leave me alone. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, even if I wanted to ignore it, I couldn't do it. Um, but I am. Um, I grew up in a family profoundly affected by addiction um, and uh, it goes back generations. And even though I don't have an addiction myself, I, um, I have been so profoundly affected by growing up in that environment. And I know that um, families, there are two pieces to working with families struggling with this problem. And one is that, um, active substance abuse destroys relationships mm. and it causes lasting emotional damage. Um, and it's a thing that, you know, our, our natural reactions to that, in some cases, depending on the environment we're in, they may be absolutely necessary, but they're not healthy mm -hmm. in the long term. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> there's that piece of that. And families really, um, really need a lot of healing around that. I know that I did. And finding that healing was really, um, really changed my life. And I mean, it's work that I'm still doing. I'm not done. Um, because like I said, it was pretty severe in my family. It goes back generations. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of stuff to weed through. But the other piece of that is that we also know that um, addiction and the whole spectrum of substance use disorders um, we know that that's a disease. A lot of people don't think it is, but it's been proven scientifically that it is. It's a brain disorder. So it's a mental disorder. And so one of the things about the work with families is all, another reason it's so necessary is because 
people who are trying to recover from any kind of substance use disorder, even, you know, especially it's the most severe form, which we call addiction. If family members aren't trying to heal the, the, the ways that they have been harmed and the ways that their relationships have broken down, it can be very difficult for the person trying to recover from substance mm-hmm. use to actually heal because they, um, they go back, I mean, say they go into a 30 day treatment program. They get out of treatment and they go back into the same dysfunctional relationship dynamics, which often serve as triggers for their use. So it creates an additional challenge in their long-term recovery chances. Um, so in my work, what I try to do is I feel like I'm, I'm and this has been a, a big challenge for me, I feel like I'm navigating a line of you know, trying to guide um, family members struggling with this problem along a very thin line of like, I've got to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet if I love this person and this person is sick, there's a degree to which I should be showing them some care. And the, the degree to which that needs to happen, I mean, it depends on so many factors. And I think family members, when they're navigating this problem, I mean, they can get confronted with so much um, very deeply held beliefs mm, yeah. and a lot of misinformation. And it, it, so, becomes, it becomes more of identification in a way, right? Because they've been, they've been having it and it's like, this is what I am and who I am now. Right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't know if, I mean, tell me if it's true for you, but I know like sometimes when you're faced with a, with a really challenging problem, do you ever feel like you're never going to see the end of it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and that's, I mean, the fact that, that, that whole thought of like, you know, any kind of challenge that we face, you know, when, when we're in it, we're, we have this fear of like, it's never going to end. Mm-hmm. And the challenge with substance use disorders is that there's no cure. So that whole idea that it's never going to end can be really terrifying because you think there's no cure. I mean, it, even if somebody um, say that, you know, they've got full blown addiction and they've got, you know, five years of, of abstinence and recovery, it's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The chances that they'll never use again <clears throat> increase a lot, the longer period of abstinence that you have, but it's not a guarantee. So one of the things that, that family members need to do, and it's one of the hardest things to do and, but it's one of the most healing pieces of the work that I do is trying to find ways to manage the uncertainty and manage the stress Mm. because it's almost impossible to navigate that uncertainty, knowing that there are no guarantees and knowing that the outcome can be absolutely tragic. Right. Um, And stay present and stay in today Mm. and really be mindful about how you're showing up for yourself and how are you showing up for your loved one, even when they're behaving at their worst. So it's, it's an incredible challenge and family members are, you know, you, they'll, they'll be confronted with people like saying, you've got to kick them out. You just, I mean, I can't believe you're putting up this. You have to kick them out. And it's, it's really challenging for a family member because I mean, I think, you know, when I work with family members, I always tell them, don't tell anybody else what to do. Cause you don't know the answer for them. And I think about like, you know, the, the mother or people are saying you need to kick your son out cause he's doing so much, he's stealing her money and he's, you know, he's doing whatever. Um, it's awful and they can't figure out why she lets him stay, but you don't, you don't know whether that mother would be so racked by guilt, mm-hmm. um, for ch- kicking her child out that she would not be able to do anything else to take care of herself around that. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, no one knows one person's path to healing. Right. So, and that's one of the reasons why I really, um, I mean, part of my work is educational, but part of it is, is the coaching piece because the coaching piece is so powerful for supporting people and finding their own answers. Cause I don't have other people's answers. I have a body of information and I have a set of tools. Absolutely. That's it. Help and that's, them. that's the whole thing about what coaching is, is just helping. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And it's, you know, the other thing about coaching is that, I mean, you know, I was talking about that, that fear and having to navigate that fear in, in the face of a problem to which there is no absolute solid 100% cure. Um, the other piece about coaching is that it helps get behind, you know, not try to necessarily confront the fear, but it kind of sneaks around it. Mm. So um, it's, it really helps you come to, to better solutions because I know at least in the work that I do, fear is not a great place to be from which to be making decisions. So the, the coaching piece of that is, is really key for me. Right. So gonna, and so, and so when you do this work, I mean, so how long have you been doing this work? I mean, all your life for yourself in a way. Yeah, right? I've been doing it all my life for myself and I think I've been doing it about four years. Okay. Um, I've been doing it informally just in my own <clears throat> recovery work. I mean, because there's a, there's a, a tradition of, of, of service and giving back what you've gotten. So I've been doing that for years and years, but, mm. and that was one of the things that, that, that made it clear to me that I was supposed to be doing this work. And do you find that you do most of your work online? I'm actually transitioning to doing it online. I've been doing it face-to-face um, -face through like workshops and churches. Um, and I've just kind of come to the conclusion that, I mean, the online work that I'm, I'm building right now is kind of a constellation of other work that I'm doing. I'm also a, a teacher. I've been a French teacher for 20 years. French? <laughs> yeah, French. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, and I've taught a lot online. So I felt like, you know what, the universe has given me this constellation of skills to do this work and bring it out <clears throat> into the world in a way that I couldn't do if I was trying to do it face to face. Mm -hmm. oh, so I'm trying to do it face to face, it limits the number of people I can reach. Right. Um, and doing it online allows me to create a larger, um, uh, community of support because one of the, I mean, one of the key pieces to confronting this problem and navigating that journey effectively is that you need effective support. Mm -hmm. And I define that very clearly in my program, but a lot of people they'll go, I mean, especially if your family has been dealing with this problem of alcoholism or drug addiction or any kind of um, substance abuse, mm -hmm. if this has been going on for a while, it's highly unlikely that your family members are going to be the, the kind of support that you need them to be. It's sad to say. So you need to find that somewhere else. Well, and, and I don't, I mean, I think that's true in, in all areas of coaching is that yeah. when you need help, you need someone who's going to be outside of your circle. You need someone to be objective and yep. distanced and who can yep. really see you. Yeah. And it's not going to judge. And, and right. the thing about that is that, you know, a lot of times family members, this this question of substance use is just so loaded mm. that even people who are not that sort of like have some distance from you will still be judgmental. Mm -hmm. And it's based on a lot of cultural misunderstandings. It's also based on the fact that what we learned in the beginning about addiction was based on the worst case scenarios, like the lowest of the lows. Mm. And 
that's not a complete picture of substance use. <laughs> so, you know, I think a lot of our misunderstandings have come out of that first original sort of journey when people started to find solutions to this problem, they were dealing with the worst cases. Mm-hmm. So things that came out of that are, are myths like, <clears throat> well, you know, your loved one has to hit bottom. It's a complete myth. Because what, I mean, one of the, the reasons that's a myth is nobody knows what bottom is for anybody else. You know, bottom for one person might be, you know, I, I was put on probation at work. And that's, that's the, that they can go no further with that. Whereas bottom for somebody else is they, they lose everything and they're homeless. Yeah. Yeah. And even for other people, for some people, that's not even bottom. So there's a lot of things that come out that came out of our, this whole journey that we've had with, with addiction that, um, help in certain circumstances, but don't in others. And you can even think about the other, another thing that I address is this, the whole idea of codependency. Mm. Codependency has become this really um, bad word. And there are people out there who say that it doesn't exist. And there's, there's some truth to that and that like you won't find it in the, I can't remember what the acronym DSM stands for, but you won't find it in there. So it's not, you know, it's not a, a medically acknowledged condition or disorder. But um, people who work in the field all agree that the constellation of behaviors that make up codependency that show up in the kind of situations, you know, family members dealing with a loved one substance abuse, those things are real and they happen and they have the effects that, that, um, you know, people who study codependency do. So there's that piece of it. And then other people think that code, you know, what we know about addiction is that family members can play a huge role in recovery. I mean, a lot of people say that, you know, you can't control somebody else's drug or alcohol use. And that's absolutely true. I mean, if your loved one is bound and determined that they're going to continue drinking or using, you can't stop them. You don't have that power. Mm-hmm. But what people don't tell you is that you have a tremendous amount of influence. And family members, they're always influencing their loved one. But often those sort of natural reactions we have to a loved one's use are not um, helpful. Right. They, well, and then... Uh, that- Um, It pulls into what you were saying before. It's like everybody thinks they know what's best for someone else. Yes. And it's Mm -hmm. like, but you need to listen and you need to see and, you know, feel. And that person has to be able to find out what it is they need. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I I don't know what's best for you. I can think what's best for you, but that's my reality. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and the thing, I mean, even, you know, if I even just, use my own journey of healing as an example. I mean, there are people that have, you know, when I was struggling with something, there have been people that, you know, in my close inner circle that have known what I needed to do, but I wasn't ready to do it. Mm -hmm. Until I was ready to do it, it wasn't going to help anyway, because I wouldn't be able to commit to whatever it was that I was, I needed to do. So, you know, what, what it takes for one person to get, to come to that place where they're ready to do something. Don't know. Right. Whew. That's such amazing work. Thank you. Yeah, I really, I really, um, I really enjoy it. I mean, it's also really healing for me because it's one of the things that thinks, you know, when you, when I grew up in that environment, there's a lot of pain, there was a lot of violence, neglect, emotional abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's given that some purpose. I mean, 
a purpose beyond just what I've learned from it, but um, to be able to, to go out and help people struggling with that, it's, uh, it's, uh, it just makes it all make sense. Sure. Sure. So, so how, okay. So we've met through B school, our business online school that I I, I did many, many years ago, but I'm still in connection with. And when did you go through it? Um, I went through in 2013. So that's, that's probably when I went through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, wow. Yeah. It's been that long. <laughs> I still go back into it because I mean, Ooh. you know. It, it's great. It's a great connection. It and, is. Uh, and so even before that, I, I was doing a lot of stuff online, but uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear more of your personal journey and, um, you know, work related. So your passion, apparently you're incredibly passionate about this work and you're intimately involved. Yeah. And so what's been some of the hustle? What's been some of the obstacles that you face to get your business now? I'm talking about your business to where it is now. Yep. Um, My obstacles truly have been the, 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 the degree to which I've been affected by growing up in the environment that I, <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it makes me think of like, um, I'm divorced now, but when I first got married, my one thing that my stepmother said to me about marriage was that, you know, when you get married, it's like you finish the work that your parents didn't do. Like whatever growing up mm. you still have to do, it's good. <clears throat> it's either going to happen um, or it's not going to happen, but it's going to need to happen if the marriage is going to work and it's going to have to happen for both of you. And I think the same thing is true about building a business. Mm. When you have to, when you have to, when you take on the, the endeavor of, of building a business, I mean, whatever, you know, personal growth that didn't happen when you were growing up is going to have to happen. <laughs> if the, if the business is, is going to work. And Man, it's that, I mean, that in some ways has been the, the, the biggest part of the journey and, and the, the lengths, particularly the, the time it's taken me to get this thing going online has been all about me breaking through the, the limiting beliefs. Um, and uh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Good things don't happen to me. Um, and that's been... I mean, that's been both powerful and at times heartbreaking. I mean, I think about, I mean, one of the recent um, revelations I, I had, um, because I think about, you know, like the whole, I'm not good enough or good things won't happen to me. It's all just, it's a different, there's shame messages. And I, in my family, one of the things that sort of kept <clears throat> this whole thing of like denial, not being able to see the reality of what was going on with me internally was because we were so good at looking good. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, we, we, I had nice clothes for the most part, not when I was really younger, but later my, um, I did have pretty decent clothes and my, um, one of my grandfathers grew right up right next to the Kennedys. The other one was the Lieutenant governor of the state that I grew up in. And so we had this whole like facade going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I struggled some, that kept me from really breaking through some, some, of those limiting beliefs. And, you know, not too long ago, I just had this awareness. I was, re- I was actually reading, um, Brene Brown's, um, Braving the Wilderness. Mm-hmm. 
And she shares in there an interview that she does with, uh, she did with Viola Davis, whose father was an alcoholic, violent alcoholic. And Viola Davis was talking about how she had so much anxiety and especially this fear about speaking up. And she shared this, um, this incident when she was growing up, her, um, her father was stabbing her mother in the, in the neck with a pencil. And I think she said she was 14 and she, she was called, she had to like sort of play the adult there and speak up and say, stop it. And, and he did. But she said that the fact that she had to do that at an age when she shouldn't have had to do something like that. Mm -hmm. she said, I, um, the price I paid for that was fear. And when I read that, I just had, I just had this like, Oh my God. I just like the book just fell on my lap just going because I have my own moment <clears throat> like that. It went a little bit differently though. I was, um, I was six. I think my older brother was 10 and my, um, it was my stepdad. Um, he was a violent alcoholic. My, um, my mother's prescription drug addict, but they're having a fight. And of course he, he's obviously winning, but he, and he was banging her head against the corner of the wall and had his hands around her neck. And my, my older brother and I were kind of crouched on the stairs and we're just like watching this thing from the stairs. And my mother is screaming, call the police, call the police. And my brother and I were just frozen in fear. We could not move. And I thought, you know, when I remembered that, I, for the longest time I've been able to like, just think about that. Um, almost clinically. Mm. Um, and when I read this Viola Davis thing, I was like, Oh my God, I was called to step up and intervene in a situation that, you know, in a time and in a place and in a context that I didn't have the power to. And the price I paid for that was shame. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, so that was like a light bulb. I was like, Oh my God, you know, and it's, it's sort of like, that was one of the things that made me aware of like, you know, I've got all these skills. I've got these talents. I've had so many people tell me I'm so good at this. And, and there's still this little piece, there's this little piece in my head says, this isn't going to work for you. And I thought that is where that comes from because that was a situation. I mean, it comes from a number of things, but that was like a key driver of that belief because I was like, if I had called the police, I mean, I think my brother and I were both frozen because if we had called the police, who knows what our stepdad would have done to us. But my mother could be, he was physically abusive. My mother was emotionally abusive. <clears throat> so one of my first memories of her is her locking me in the basement in the dark. I think I was four because I wouldn't do my dishes. So there was like this no win situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, gosh, I've like internalized that. And I've carried this whole like idea that there's no way I can win. It doesn't matter how, how, how good I am. doesn't matter how smart I am. doesn't matter how skilled I am that I can take it. I thought, oh my God. So that's been a really um healing great yeah so, so you know great. it's been it's been a journey of like having to having to break through that it's also been a journey of like you have to accept messing things up effing things up and you know that's man it's taught me patience um because you have to figure stuff out and it's never going to go right the first time. I mean, if it does, man, <laughs> hallelujah, but it rarely does. And so when I've been trying to do those things, particularly like, <clears throat> you know, I create videos and having to navigate all of these different questions of like thinking about the kind of work that I want to do. And I thought, um, I don't really want them to be PowerPoints because I'm really trying to connect with people personally, but there's also such a huge body of information that I'm trying to communicate to them that there's no way I can memorize everything I'm trying to tell them. 
So this whole journey of trying to figure out how am I going to do these videos? Am I going to, am I going to have a teleprompter? And, and then I'd be like, I don't know if I can have a teleprompter and somebody behind the camera because I'm less comfortable. So this whole, it's been a really interesting journey and it's almost been magical in that sense of like, <clears throat> I would have these questions of like, okay, you know, sort of like throwing it out to the universe. Okay. How am I going to do this? Or I'm like, I'm worried about this. And I like, I'm, there's this little piece I got to figure out. Um, and I'm not quite sure how it's going to happen, but I need it to happen, but I kind of like let it go. And then I don't know, a book or something or a blog post or whatever would, would show up. I'm like, Oh, there's my answer. So. Well, in that, in that respect, you are opening yourself up to receive and to allow, yeah. allow that receiving on all those levels, on the healing level, on the information yeah. level, on the technique level, yeah. you know, all those levels to. And, you know, I mean, I have to say, I think one of the, the hardest things, um, and this happened maybe, I don't know, I think maybe a year or two ago, because I think, I mean, you probably know as a coach, I mean, receiving is the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was, that blew me away and it, I mean, my recovery, part of my recovery has, has been through 12 step family recovery. Um, mm -hmm. and I remember one day I was, I was <clears throat> working on the curriculum and I also have this goal, um, a longer term goal. I'd like to do a, a Ted talk on mm -hmm. family struggling with, with, um, a loved one substance use. Good goal. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Not about Ted. Um, so but I was like, you know, I'm trying to think about, you know, what's, what would my talk look like? And, mm -hmm. and I was working on the curriculum for this and writing the script for the curriculum of, of, of my online program. And as I was writing it, I felt like I, I had the whole outline of, of a TED talk in there. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of blown away. And one of the things that happened to me was like, you know, in 12-step recovery, there's this concept of a, of a power greater than yourself. A lot of people call it a higher power. Some people call it, call it God. I don't like the word God, so I don't use that in my own personal spiritual journey, but the whole higher power thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember just feeling completely overwhelmed because I was just like, when I saw that happen and I saw how easily that came together, I just had this realization that I just, I just felt like I just couldn't swallow it. And like, I was, cause I just said to myself, Oh my God, I'm not prepared for God to be that big. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I mean, I had to call up Ooh. another friend in my program cause I was just like, I don't know what to do with this. And you know, and I said, I feel like <clears throat> I told, I told her, I was like, I feel like I'm like, I'm on the, I'm like on this precipice and there's this like really scary swinging bridge going off to the other side. And there's a big blazing fire behind me. Like I've got no choice, but to cross the bridge. And, and she's like, no, you're on the bridge already. <laughs> you need to get to the other side of the damn thing's going to burn down. <laughs> so it was just like that whole peace it's the fear of success it's the yeah. fear of like you know i'm not that was just the awareness of like how it's not just that part of my own personal issues were not just like i'm feeling that you know like good things won't happen to me mm -hmm. it's like i'm not even prepared for them to happen to me and i was like whoa so you know i when that when i had that awareness one of the things that i had to do was i just had to stop and i had to um and I've had to do this a number of times when I have a really powerful awareness. I've had to stop. And I'd spend maybe a week, 10 days, just chilling. Mm. And sometimes I'd even just stay in my pajamas. Because what I, I mean, what I realized was like these beliefs 
these limiting beliefs, they're born of pain. And if I don't sit in the pain, and if I don't, um, you know, particularly like I think about, you know, sort of one of the first things, you know, remembers in my mother's her locking me in the basement. I mean, I got to hold that little girl locked in the basement. You know, I got to hold that little girl frozen on the stairs. And that, that means she needs time. And that's also one of the hardest things for me to do because I can think, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. And I feel like I'm, you know, I'm taking too much time and, and trusting, you know, the universe's timing is never mine. And the universe has, <clears throat> has always had better ideas than I do. And, but I've, I've gotten to a point now where I, it's been, for the most part, not there every day, but it's, uh, the journey's been more wondrous, like born of curiosity. Like, I wonder where this is going to go. I mean, when I first started, that's one of my favorite words is curiosity. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really love to think that, um, I'm, I, I'm paraphrasing this, but, uh, life doesn't happen to me. Life yeah. happens for me. Yeah. And, and we all have to remember that on, on our journey, no matter where that pain comes from, but also where the joy comes from and that we are here to experience these things and to live and to move forward. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, it all, it all, we all do that in our own time. Yep. We do. And I think, um, I mean, one of the things I, I, uh, I do for myself in those, in those hard periods is I, I mean, I have a, a question because I, I mean, I work this, this 12 step program. It's based on this. It's a spiritual process and we have this concept of a higher power. And mm -hmm. so when things are going, um, um, going poorly or I'm having, you know, I'm really struggling with, with my, um, my experience. One of the things I always have to ask myself is um, <clears throat> if I believe that that higher power is loving and if i believe that that higher power is always working for my highest good mm -hmm. then what is the good that could be coming out of this experience mm -hmm. absolutely so and it's it's important to be i mean and i think that's one of the <clears throat> one of the most difficult shifts for um for people to make sometimes is to be open to there's a gift in this and this experience i mean and that's even true of, you know the work i do with with family members and it's uh but man the alternative really sucks <laughs> yeah um and i think i mean one of the things i i hear uh you know i listen to a lot of speakers that are in 12-step recovery whether they're um you know mm -hmm. in recovery as a family member or as a an alcoholic or an addict and i can i hear a lot of people that will say that they're grateful mm-hmm grateful that they're an alcoholic they're grateful that they're an addict or they're grateful that their loved one is an alcoholic or an addict and I think that's a wonderful place to be I'm also not there mm -hmm. um, but one of the things I I know that it, I mean I don't have to like I can think of that I can go back and say you know what <clears throat> if I went back and like if I was able to like negotiate with the with the master of the universe or whatever and say, you know what? I want to come into this life with loving parents, with nurturing, caring parents. If I had been given that choice, 
would I, would I come, you know, would I redo that and come back with loving parents? And I'd come back with loving parents. Um, but I wasn't given that choice. Mm -hmm. So the next best thing is saying, okay, well then what's the good that I can get out of this? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's, um, that's so important. Um, in my work with families, because I think, you know, when a loved one is struggling with, uh, with drug or alcohol abuse, I mean, we don't have a cure yet. Mm -hmm. And it's a very difficult thing. Um, there are people that do recover and we know a lot more about recovery today than we did um, years ago, but not everybody makes it. And um, when I work with families, I mean, that's one of the things that particularly when I was making this program, um, because this is one of the things that when, you know, when you lose somebody or when somebody just plain doesn't change, mm -hmm. um, you still lose them to a extent. Um, they're not available. And I really struggled of like, I can't ignore that reality. Mm -hmm. That's some of the people that I work with, they're going to lose their loved ones. Some of the people that I work with, their loved ones are never going to change. My loved ones have never changed. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges is to, you know, help these people trust that there's life in the face of that. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, you can live, you can have joy. And I think, you know, one of the things that I struggled with when I was facing that question um, is I felt like the grief of my loved ones not changing or recovering. I thought that that would crush me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, it sucks. You know, and, it, you know, they, none of them have died to this point. There are times that I, you know, I feel like, you know, they're passing. There will be a degree to that, which that's going to be a blessing. Because, you know, there, there are pieces of the ride that just, they suck. Um, and I know that I'll grieve. But that hasn't kept me from finding satisfaction. That hasn't kept me from finding meaning. That hasn't kept me from finding any joy. I mean, I, I think when I felt that way, you know, I felt like it would crush me. That it was because I had no idea how much my heart could hold. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot more room in my heart than I thought there was. So, it holds both those things, and I can cry and laugh, and you know, within seconds of each other. Yeah. Um, I think that's really beautiful, and it's it's like what you just said earlier. Is like what what's the good that can come out of this? Mm -hmm. And you're and you're living it. Yeah. You know, you're really you're bringing good to others because of your experiences and your passion yeah. and your desire. And that is, I mean, people need to hear your story as well as also your insights and your wisdom, Yeah, you know, and the ability to, yes, you can heal. And yes, there yeah. are different ways and everybody has different modes and methods and tools. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting too, because I, you know, as I've, as I talk to people about what I'm doing, I mean, my journey has been through 12 step recovery. Mm -hmm. It's not the only way to recover. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I, I, sure. I don't know what I would do without that, without that path. Um, and <clears throat> it's interesting because I, as I was doing this work, I knew that, you know, 
there's a lot of people who resist 12 step recovery, especially a lot of people who resist. I mean, the, the 12 steps in most programs have the word God in them. And that's a loaded word for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And because it was such a loaded word for me, I get that. I totally get that. And I also felt like this is such a huge problem that I don't believe it's the right thing to do to like, because a lot of people think, well, if you don't want 12 step recovery, then you're, you know, that's your problem and you'll come back when you're ready. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of that attitude. I think everybody deserves um, support and healing. And so it's been, that's been another incredible journey as I go through when I went through and I was like, I've got my own experience in this um, 12 step modality, but there are other ones out there. And as I've gone out to like research those, that's been really cool. Mm. And to be able to like, you know, to show up, I mean, there are, there are disadvantages to the 12 steps. And I talk about those in my program. I mean, they're, when you're really looking for some concrete answers, the 12 steps are pretty damn opaque. They're incredibly powerful, but they don't make sense in the beginning. <clears throat> so, you know, and there are other, there are other support programs that are much more tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they can be very helpful. They have their limitations too. I mean, some of those more tangible programs that were more focused on how do I exert my influence on the, on, you know, my loved one who's using substances. I was so emotionally damaged that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have done it for me. Mm-hmm. I needed to heal. And so, you know, that's, there's that limitation with that. If I needed the level of healing that I needed, that, that modality wouldn't give wouldn't have given me. Sure. Well, so. in, in, in the whole picture of this, the, the beauty is that you have pursued what you needed. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's hard for a lot of people to do, you yeah. know, to ask for help, to seek help, to know that there's another way, to know there's something else out there, and there's no, no knowing that you can do something to help someone else. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's so powerful and magical, and, mm-hmm. and you know, you're, you're beautiful proof of that. Thank you. That you can move forward and make something good out of yep. something that has, was painful and to move yeah. forward and, and you're, you're honoring what you need to honor. You're honoring the past and you're honoring what you need and what you can do. And you're honoring the beauty that can come forward. Right. Yeah. And that's, whew, wow. You know, yeah. Blessings to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the heart and the hustle. Well, there's, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it in there. And, Thank you. and that you're, you're building uh, a beauty out of it and you're building power and strength and solutions and ideas, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. again, it's not, maybe it's not for everybody, but it, everybody has their own path and to honor that. And you do yeah. honor that, you know, I honor- do. And I, I mean, that's what I try to support people in figuring out. Yeah. You know, and, giving them the information and the tools and the, yeah. and the support. So your, your course, you've got a course starting um, just in another week or so for helping families of, of addicted yeah. folk. Um, and that's, that's going to be an awesome, and that's an online course, correct? Yes, it's an online course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I will, of course, put all your, your contacts and all that stuff in, our, in my blurb. <laughs> yes. uh, and, um, but, you know, wow, just a powerful insight. Uh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's so, 
you know, everybody has such different experiences in life and to see how we come out and how we shine and how we move forward and to keep our mm-hmm. hearts open, to know that there's more, there's another way, there's more healing to be had, that we don't have to stay stuck, right? No. We can ask for help and it's okay to ask for help. And that, yeah. of course, as coaches, that's what we live for. We, yeah. And we, we need help because getting yeah. unstuck is not a comfortable process. Right. Amazing, amazing. So, um, whew, any any last words for our people? Oh, um, I think I would say that if you know if you are in a situation where you're um, you're really struggling with a loved one's drug or alcohol use, um, the most helpful thing you can do for yourself is to reach out. Mm-hmm. Because the pain of those situations, the pain of your loved ones use, I mean, substance use disorders, they, they thrive in isolation and the pain of family members that thrives and grows in isolation. So it's important to, to reach out. Mm -hmm. And, um, that can be really scary because a lot of people can feel really ashamed. They might think that they are to blame for what their, their loved one's doing. And who knows, maybe their loved one is even blaming them. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it's important. To not hide. To not hide. That's right. Yeah. And I say that knowing, I mean, I, <clears throat> I spent years hiding and damn, it cost me. But here you are. <laughs> you know, and, and we all have those backstories, whether they're addiction or whatever. Yeah. We all have some sort of backstory that we can come forward through and from and and step step fuller and bigger into living mm-hmm. yeah and and seeking help and seeking you know seeking it is whatever whatever we desire what we need what we want to live that life because that's what we're here yeah. for that's what we're here for mm-hmm. I, I and truly, i think it's important to not to um not to think that you know that you i think what i would do is think well there's just no answer Mm. Stock, um, to be open to, to things that you don't know. Good point. That's, really that's, good point. So we can stay stuck thinking we already know the answer, but the answer isn't working or we think, well, there is no answer. Um, it's, uh, it's important, important to have an open mind mm. that there is excellent information out there that can help you. So, <sighs> yeah. Oh, my heart is just like, oh, it's so beautiful. And it's, you know, I can feel the, the, the pain, but I can feel the, the love and the desire and the openness. Thank and you. What, and what's to come. And what's yeah. To come, right. And who knows what's to come. Yeah. Yeah. So good. All right. Well, I am so pleased to have this conversation. Yeah, it was a pleasure to connect with you this afternoon. Absolutely. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my song back on here. <laughs> <laughs> my, my little wide open spaces, spaces. which I, I think is, is kind of relevant to this whole open yourself up. What do you want? What yeah. do you need? And yeah. I am Paulette Reese-Denis, and this is Heart and Hustle, Visionary Healers, Movers, and Shakers. And I thank very much Madeline Craig for being with us today. Yeah, thank and you again, for having me. I, I will um, 
give you her contact information. Her course is coming up December 25th. Mm -hmm. uh, and for those of you who need that extra, that extra bit. Uh, and thank you for joining us today again. And we will see you next time. In the meantime, live big, live full. Mwah. Thank you.